All right, let's do it. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I'm Daniel Cormier. I was Henry Cejudo's Olympic teammate. How'd you meet Henry? I met Henry at the OTC when he was a senior in high school. And uh, all of a sudden, this kid was in practice with us. And it was just the oddest thing, but... Why was it an odd thing? Because you just didn't see that. You didn't have 16, 17-year-old kids in the Olympic training room. But he was different, though, because he wasn't chasing state championships ever. He always had one goal, and that was to be Olympic champ. Gold medal match. Henry Zehudo, 21 years of age. Make the Olympic team. Everything's going to come down to this match right here. This is going to be a historic finals. At one point, I never really felt this feeling before out of all my years wrestling. I remember feeling like scared for the first time in my life, man. Honestly, like to compete because like my mind was like playing games with me. But to the point where it was almost like real, like run away. Within two weeks, this, all this stuff is over. These things are so, so real that I'm just like, man, where is this coming from? Why is this shit going on like now? Henry Cejudo. Henry Cejudo. So my name is Henry Cejudo. This uh, event will determine athletes who represent the United States in the Summer Olympic Games. There's nothing like the Olympic Games. And you have one shot to be the Olympic gold medalist. When you're the Olympic champ, you're the best wrestler on the planet. Welcome to the Henry Cejudo Experiment. My name's Ryan Warner, and for the next six episodes, I'll be your host as we chronicle Henry Cejudo's wrestling career. Now to UFC fans, the name Henry Cejudo is synonymous with winning. Because Henry is one of just four fighters to hold two UFC titles in two different weight classes at the same time. In 13 days, Henry returns to the octagon for his first fight in over three years. But before he ever stepped foot in the cage, Henry reached the pinnacle of the wrestling world by becoming the youngest American to win an Olympic gold medal. What many don't know is that as a teenager, Henry was involved in a secret project. He was a guinea pig in an experiment conducted behind the scenes at USA Wrestling Headquarters. An experiment that would forever change the landscape of wrestling and MMA. And that's the focus of our story. So last August, I set out to interview over 30 of Henry's friends, family, and competitors to learn everything I could about Henry's wrestling career and his experiment most of which has never been heard before. So sit back and enjoy the Henry Cejudo experiment. It's summer 2004. Well, I think the U.S. economy is basically a, a bubble. I think it's simply stated there is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. I'm honored by your support, and I accept your nomination for president... As America was fighting two wars and headed towards a recession, the country's national wrestling team had fallen on tough times. United States wrestling is on the decline. It's been four years since an American wrestler has won a world championship on the map. The countries that were dominating American athletes, like Iran and Russia, their best wrestlers went straight from high school to the Olympic circuit. 
while America's top young talent put the Olympics on the back burner while they went to college for four years. Here's Daniel Cormier, a two-time Olympian for Team USA. When you're thinking the path to an Olympic Games, like my path, right? You go high school, you go to college. Post-college, you take years building to the national scene, national team, world team member. So by the time American wrestlers hit the international circuit, they were four years behind their international counterparts. But that's the way it had always been done. And no one questioned it. Back to D.C. You didn't have kids saying, I don't want to go to college. I just want to chase the Olympic dream. You didn't have that. But by August of 2004, the wrestling world started hearing rumors about a kid from Arizona who wanted nothing to do with college wrestling. That wrestler was Henry Cejudo. But he was different, though, because he wasn't chasing state championships ever. He always had one goal, and that was to be Olympic champ. To fully understand Henry's story, it's best that we start at the beginning. Born February 6, 1987, to parents Jorge and Nelly Cejudo, both of which were illegal immigrants who didn't speak English, Henry grew up in a two-bedroom apartment in one of the worst neighborhoods in the country. I was born in California. I was born in, uh, in South Central LA, for that, for that matter. I'm one of seven kids raised by a single mother. As a 16-year-old, Henry's mom crossed the Mexican-American border illegally and found a job in LA. My mom did everything, dude. I remember it was either bloods or cribs. They had her like rolling joints. She just knew that they would pay her X amount of money, you know, to roll up uh, certain certain joints. You know, she was a she was a teenager. She didn't have papers at the time, nothing. Because of her status, Henry's mom was constantly looking over her shoulder for immigration police. And during that time in LA, discrimination against Mexican Americans was ever present. There was a missing kid white kid and my mom was you know pretty you know she's she, she, she's brown and I was a blonde kid man I look German as Henry and his mom were walking down the street two LAPD police officers pulled him over the cops ended up pulling her over and my mom didn't speak English it's like hey what does this kid look like oh he's blonde he's, he's kind of same everything of me identical white Caucasian kid and uh, you know they put in the cop car you know and I'm over here crying I want to get my mom so it was, it was like that. But Henry's mom and three million other illegal immigrants got a break when President Ronald Reagan signed into law the Amnesty Act. I believe in the idea of amnesty for those who have put down roots and who have lived here, even though sometime back they may have entered illegally. The Amnesty Act gave permanent residence to any illegal who crossed into America prior to 1982, which included Henry's mom as well as his dad, Jorge Cejudo. My dad had a really crazy, like, drug addiction. You know, he would drink my mom's perfumes, like, to that point. When Henry's dad needed money to fuel his drug addiction, he would turn to his family. He stole the Christmas presents, and uh, he also stole the carpet, too, from our house, from our own house. So he stole the Christmas presents and the carpet. For most of Henry's early childhood, his dad was locked up and in prison. But when he was around... Jorge Cejudo could be violent. The times that my dad did come home, like those are the only stories that I do have of him making us drink like celery juice or carrot juice. One afternoon when Henry was a kid, 
His dad made him a big glass of carrot juice, but he didn't want to drink it. I, I, I took the carrot juice and I threw it behind the refrigerator. And this whole time, my dad was behind me fucking watching me. Like, he literally, like, followed me outside. And when I threw it, man, he beat the shit out of me. Like, spanked me, like, grabbed me by one hand with his left and just smacked the shit out of me with the right. That, that was the, pretty much the last memory I have was the beating that I took from throwing out the carrot juice. When Henry was five, his dad was arrested on drug charges and served six months in prison. On the day he was set to be released, Henry's mom gathered the kids and all their worldly belongings into a few boxes and boarded a Greyhound bus for New Mexico. We ended up just leaving. We ended up leaving South Central LA to, uh, to pretty much get away from them. The Cejudos settled in the border town of Las Cruces, New Mexico. Henry's older brother, Alonzo, remembers this time vividly. When we moved to Las Cruces, we started living with some uh, some friends that we had. It was six of us, and, and our mom was seven. And then that family was six kids and their mom and dad. So it was like 14, 15 people in the same house. So we were there for about uh, two months, and then my mom ended up getting a house, a rental. And, you know, we didn't have any money. So it was just a rental with just blankets and pillows. No couches, no furniture, just, you know, some some dishes from the thrift store. That's it. Here's Henry. Because the majority of our dad lives, we didn't have a lot of furniture, man. You know, we never had, like, paintings on the walls or anything like that. In a one-room apartment with six kids, finding a place to sleep each night was a challenge. Here's Henry's older brother, Alonzo, again. So we all slept maybe three to a bed, two to a bed, uh, on the floor, on the couch. And then we'd pull out a mattress from somewhere and put it on the floor every night, and then we'd sleep there. After moving to Las Cruces, Henry's mom got a job picking chilies. When we moved out there, they are like, oh, you can work and your kids can't too. Really? How? Like, you just go to these fields and you pick chili and you guys get paid for it. Honestly, I don't remember how long my mom did it for. I know the kids, well, my brothers and sisters at the time, they were kids. I know they did it for a little bit. One day on the job, Henry and his siblings got into a fight and his mom was fired from the chili fields, which meant that most of the time, the Cejudo struggled financially. You know, we went we went through starvation because my mom didn't want to ask for help. Government help and things like that, but like for people, she would never. Yeah, when people when people talk about poor, like people have no idea what it's truly like to be poor. Of uh, literally going going a going to bed with with the freaking screaming stomach. Like I was a kid that when I went to school, I was headed to breakfast first thing. Because I knew that that was, that was it. Lunch. I, gotta, I always have to have lunch. I always have to have breakfast before I get home because I know, I know, what, could, I know what could happen. If I don't eat, man, I don't eat. I'm going to be starving the whole day. So when people talk about like the ghetto and you know, gangs and violence, it's like, man, people don't really understand true poverty. If Henry's mom had trouble putting food on the table, she had even more problems finding a permanent home as the Cejudos moved over 13 times in five years. You know, having to live from house to house, understanding why we got to leave within two to three months, like to us, that was just normal. Henry's older brother, Angel. Maybe the rent was due, couldn't have the money, and you, you know, you move on to the next place. Just within like a square mile, we moved four or five times. It's like, and even in the apartments we lived, we would go from one to the next, to the next, and all in that little neighborhood. But I think one thing that really hurt us was um, the education. By the time Henry was in fourth grade, 
He had been held back twice, and the only constant was change. Back to Angel. We started one place, we would move to the next and to the next, and you know, having a, a stable household was like, no one's there to tell you, hey, you're doing your homework, or if you're a proficient in reading, writing, or math. So I think that's where we kind of struggled a lot. By the summer of 1996, after five years in New Mexico, the Cejudos moved to Phoenix. And it was here where Henry got his first glimpse of the Olympics. We lived in a, a, a trailer inside of a junkyard, and I remember watching Michael Johnson, you know, with his infamous gold shoes, uh, you know, shattered world record, the way he broke it. Away, Johnson got a great start. He's home, Michael. Look at this, he's streaking away. Magnificent running. Look at the time. To me, that was a, a huge inspiration for me to see this African-American man, you know, the way he embraced that American flag, watching him cry. To me, it was just like, man, this is uh, this is surreal. Like, I want to feel that. I want to feel what this man is feeling. As excited as Henry was after watching the Olympics, he didn't yet have an outlet for his competitive drive. And a few weeks later, the Cejudos moved again. This time to a rough neighborhood on the west side of Phoenix, Maryville. When we moved to West Phoenix, you were listening to Alonzo Cruz, Henry's oldest brother. There was no white people. It was there, there was even no blacks. It was just Mexicans. It was like little Mexico. Here's Henry. When you're raised in Mexican neighborhoods, like there's no, like you, you don't even think you live in America. If you don't speak Spanish, like you're, like you're lost, like you don't belong there. In the 1950s and 60s, Maryville was home to the American dream, where seven new houses were built each day. But by the 1990s, the neighborhood had fallen into ruins. At that time, there was a lot of gangbanging because during that time, remember, there was a program in California called Three Strikes, which meant that if, if you caught a third felony, you go to prison for 25 to life. So then a lot of them moved here to uh, Phoenix and they ended up in West Phoenix, which is Maryville, where we lived. The gangs controlled the apartment complex where Henry lived. This was on 35th and Osborne, probably the most rugged apartments, probably in all of Phoenix. By the summer of 1996, 10-year-old Henry was beginning to make a name for himself at his apartment complex. I was known as that little rebel kid. I didn't have that many friends I was just too rough. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, everybody knew me, but they were like, man, I don't know if I want to play with Henry. He's too much. I remember as a kid, a bunch of drunk Mexican guys would get together and they used to make us fight. Now, winner would receive a, a Mexican ice cream, una palata de chile. Thanks, you know, man, I'm fighting dudes that are just completely bigger. And thanks, you know, what the gloves are coming off and we're literally sticking each other. So we became a sort of entertainment for these guys. But at the same time, it, was, it wasn't so much uh, the ice cream, but it was more of just that competitor. The fact that, no, 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 let me, let me enfist, let me, uh, let me release some of this stuff that I, that I have in me. Man, my name was like already like, boom, dude, this dude will fight anybody, anytime, anywhere. Rumors of Henry's fighting spread all the way to the local school, where one of the wrestling coaches, Frank Sines, heard about Henry. I didn't see it, but you would hear, you would hear that he was a pretty good fighter, and he would beat the shit out of the kids in the apartment complex that they lived in. It was a rough apartment complex. Coach Frank had recently started coaching Henry's older brother, Angel. One day after school, Henry went to watch Angel wrestle. 
I'll never forget it because the first time I went to literally go see my brother Russell, uh, I was like, boom, it was like love at first sight. It was something that I knew that I wanted to do. That I was just tripping out because of the principal, how the principal would uh, would literally come up to the students and you know shake their hand, give them a bat. I'm just like, what the hell? But, you know, I'm the kid in the in the barrio fighting for you know for treats. Like, what is this, man? Is this? Uh, I mean, people are being rewarded. You know, I, I love the fact that it was a one-on-one competition, and there's different teams, and everybody was suited up with their gear. I'm just like. Man, it made it super official to me. So I didn't even have to lace a pair of wrestling shoes to let you know that I was already in love with this thing. Like in love. Like to the to the deepest way that you could that you could think of. Like I'm just like, no, this is what I'm gonna this is where I'm gonna become a champion at. In November of 1997, 10-year-old Henry followed an angel's footsteps and joined the Maryville Wrestling Club. His coach was Frank Sines. He wrestled uh, 68 pounds, and he weighed like 63. And actually, his nickname Shorty because he was short. Just a little kid, everybody called him Shorty. Even though he struggled in school, Henry became a student of the sport. But he was the type of kid that if he wanted to, to learn something, he would, he would do it a bunch of times. We used to have ropes that hang. And we had a drill that you shoot outside and inside singles just off of that rope. Coach, how many times do I do that? And I tell him, 100 times. He goes, I'm done, I'm done. I'm like, damn. So do it 100 times more times. Do it to the left, 100. Do it to the right, 100. After a few weeks of practice, Coach Frank showed Henry a VHS tape of the World Wrestling Championships. And in that tape, it shows Zeke Jones wrestling Valentin Giordanoff. And I remember as a fifth grade kid, when I saw this, I'm like, man, selfishly, I wanted to feel what Zeke Jones was feeling. After watching that tape, Henry shared his goals with another coach at Maryville, Richard Fimbres. And ever since he was little, since I met him, he's wanted to be an Olympic champion. You know, and you hear kids say that, but he meant it. And just his work ethic just backed that up. While most kids practice a few nights a week, Henry was different. He and Angel began showing up at the Maryville wrestling room seven nights a week. And man, I was so in love with wrestling. Like, like next to my mom, like the end of the first love that I had, like with my mom was my first introduction. After that was wrestling. After a few months of practice, Henry started going to local Arizona tournaments. And I'll be quite honest with you, man, I was just a natural. I, I was literally just the natural since the beginning. I think I want to say that my record was. 30 and 3. Coach Richard Fingress. Every, every match that he wrestled was pretty exciting. He was just flashy. He was explosive. I mean, if he was going to tech you, it was exciting. If he was going to lose, it was exciting. It was just to be in that corner and that adrenaline rush. It was just, it was a lot of fun for sure. Not only was Henry winning, but it was how he was winning that got Coach Frank's attention. He would go out there. He had a lot of technique. But his personality was he was going to beat you and then beat you up. And it was about being physical. But you know what, wrestling, if you want to win, you got to be able to bang heads. And he was he was willing to do all that. Henry's older brother, Angel Cejudo. If coach said, hey, club him and club him hard, I think he took that. He really did. He, he goes, you got to try to club when you club. You got to try to knock his head off. Well, guess what? You just told somebody like Henry that he was going to do it. 
Henry's coach, Richard Fiendress. I've never been across anybody as confident as Henry. He walks in like he's going to win every single match. That's just the mentality you got to have. And he has it, you know? By the end of his eighth grade year, Henry's mentality was paying off. He was a three-time Arizona middle school state champ, and he also captured his first age group level national title. So by the time I was in eighth, pretty much I had won every, every tournament. In just four years of wrestling, Henry had amassed more titles than most have in their entire career. But Henry wasn't the Cejudo everyone was talking about. At that time, his older brother Angel was the star. Angel, Angel was a freaking stud. He was poetry in motion. This is Alonzo Cruz, Angel's older brother. You know, that was his nickname here in Arizona because it was just, it's just pretty wrestling, just beautiful art. Henry's older brother Angel put together one of the most legendary careers in Arizona high school history. Angel was a high school undefeated and won four state titles. Coach Frank was in Angel's corner for every match. You know, Angel was like that person. They used to stop all the wrestling matches just to watch Angel wrestle. And I know there's interviews about Henry, but this is why Henry was actually so good, because he he wanted to be better than Angel, so that way they would do the same that they did. They treated Angel to treat Henry. And he, he just wanted to be that guy that they stopped all the wrestling matches to watch. Here's Henry. Yeah, but I was never jealous of my brother. I was always proud of Angel. Remember Angel losing at the... At the junior duels one year. He's also an Oklahoma kid. I just remember being so sad and pissed off. Like to the point where I actually like cried. You know what I'm saying? Like that's my hero. Like you know what I mean? Like Angel was just, he was the example man that I've always, that I wanted. I wanted, I've always wanted to be more like him. If Henry wanted to be more like his older brother, Angel was right there to coach and mentor Henry. Their relationship is probably it was probably the one that Henry needed the most. You're hearing from Richard Fimbres, Henry's coach. Angel sort of raised him, so they were together all the time. Um, they had the same goals at that time, you know, where they wanted to be the best. So what do you think is the biggest difference between Angel and Henry? Henry was more, he was just more hungry. Where Angel, I guess you could say he was hungry, but Henry was starving. I was so dedicated, Ryan, that I would, that I would uh, after practice, we had a hard-ass practice. I would literally run like six or seven miles home. Coach Richard. Do you remember some practices of working very, very hard? And then, uh, hey, you know what, Henry, let me take you home. You guys worked hard tonight. You know, and Angel's like, cool. You know, he'll jump in the car. And then Henry's like, no, I'm, I'm going to run home. Outside of the wrestling room, Henry's life narrowed. He didn't drink and he wasn't chasing girls. I had taken the sport so serious to the point where I didn't care how I was dressed, I didn't care about anything but wrestling. Henry's older brother, Alonzo. Man, Henry literally has no friends. Yeah, he has no friends. Like, he's, he's 110%. He's a, he's a wrestling gorilla. By the time he enrolled at Maryville High School, in the fall of 2002, Henry was ready to make his own name in the sport. His high school season revolved around two events the Arizona State Championships, and the Junior National Championships. His first real test in high school came halfway through Henry's freshman season against the defending state champion, Nick Gallick. Well, he was number one in the country. You know, Phoenix versus Tucson, Mexican, white. Like, even till today, it's probably the most highlighted, like, wrestling match probably in Peoria history. 
By the time he wrestled Henry, Nick Gallick was a sophomore and was one of the top 103 pounders in the country. I never wanted to be under nobody's, you know, I wouldn't mind being under my brother's shadow, but not, not somebody else's. Never wanted to be under Gallick's. Shortly after 6 p.m., on a Saturday night in January, Henry and Gallick stepped onto the mat. Coach Frank was in his corner. It was close. Um, Gallick got ahead and then just sat on the lead, and we just couldn't. It's, we couldn't get inside. He just blocked, blocked, blocked. And we chased him all over the mat, and yeah, it was tough. Late in the third period, Henry was losing and went for broke. I think I tried to freaking stick him at the end, like club him. Knowing that I was losing, I was just started throwing hands. Pure immaturity. Maybe lose a match but win the war. As the match ended, Gallic's two takedowns were enough to secure the win as he handed Henry his first high school loss. I'm just like, I'm fucking pissed off. I didn't want to shake the coach's hand. My coach is like, go shake his fucking hands. They mess around with things like that. So I'm just like, put my head down, go and shake the hand. So then that happened with Gallic. So then everybody, so then people kind of saw like the malice that I had. So then I get booed, man, by everybody. After the match, Henry was in the locker room with his coach, Richard Fiembris. You know, he hugged me and cried a little bit. And then whenever he lost, came up to me. He's like, Richard, you told me to give everything I got. If I give everything I got, you know, that's all that matters. I said, yeah, it is. He goes, well, why are these people booing me? After Richard left to go coach another wrestler, Henry threw on his sweats and took his anger out the only way he knew how to. And I just started immediately start training. I'm like, this is it, man. This is enough of me losing. Nearly two hours later, as the tournament was ending, Coach Richard couldn't find Henry. Well, he was running sprints in the wrestling room, and we had to go get him. Like, he was, you know, he was pissed, and there was a chip on the shoulder definitely after that match. The chip on Henry's shoulder was there before the Gallic match, but after that loss, his training reached new levels of intensity. With him, if somebody could, would beat him, he would work twice as hard, three times as hard. He was obsessed. Unfortunately for Henry, he and Gallic would never wrestle again. And he was forced to take out his frustrations on his training partners. I think he was outgrowing our room. This is Coach Frank. Because by then he was, I mean, he was just beating everybody. And then he didn't really want to practice with his peers anymore in a room. He'd beat them up instead of practicing with them, instead of helping out. Here's Henry's other high school coach, Richard Fimbres. I remember parents coming in. For one example, there was uh, a mom came in with her son, and uh, Henry really put it on him. He was throwing the kid around. The kid was crying. And you would think that maybe some kids, or some kids would stop and, you know, maybe take it easy because his mom was right there, and Henry didn't care. Even youth wrestlers couldn't escape Henry's wrath. According to his brother, Angel. Yeah, I mean, there was times where kids were asking me for technique. I'd be more unhappy and willing to help, and Henry was just, get away from me. Well, don't talk to me until I'm done. Here's Henry. I wasn't much of a, of a giver in that sense. I ain't have that heart like Angel. I wasn't a teacher. I didn't want to teach. It was like pulling teeth for me to uh, show somebody something or, or to give my time to something if it wasn't for me. Back to Angel. It wouldn't even be after practice. It wasn't even during practice. He was not done working out. You don't mess with him. Leave him alone. Wait till he's done, showered up, then go talk to him. Because if you go in and talk to him and ask him for a technique, 
He'll tell you to F off. I'm not done yet. And he would be mad that no one else was doing the training that he was doing. For the longest, I struggled with that. Like, how can you be so selfish? Six weeks after Henry's loss to Nick Gallick, he won the 103-pound Arizona State title. The following year, he won again, this time at 119 pounds. And he was starting to hit the limits of what he could achieve in Arizona. The only place he could test himself was at the Junior Nationals, a tournament featuring the best 16- to 18-year-old wrestlers in the country. But the tournament was in Fargo, North Dakota, and Henry couldn't afford the trip. So his mom started selling food to help make ends meet. For us to go to wrestling tournaments, like my mom would sell sell food, going out door to door, like, hey, I'm starting a restaurant, selling food, like literally. But Henry was a private person, and he didn't tell his teammates or his coaches about how he was affording the trip to Fargo. And one day after practice, Coach Frank was giving Henry a ride home when they spotted his mom on the street. And when I, I seen this woman on the side of the road pushing uh, a cart selling uh, tortas and burritos, and Henry just kind of swayed us because he was embarrassed. We was going to go to his house and drop him out. No, no, let's go this way. I'm like, wait a minute. And then that's when I found out that, that was his mom out there. And we had a conversation about that. He cried and he was embarrassed, but, but, but she was trying to make a living for her kids, her family. By midsummer, Henry had raised enough money to make the trip to Fargo, and he was on a plane headed for the Junior National Tournament. To wrestling fans, the Junior Nationals is known simply as Fargo. Here's Olympic gold medalist Kendall Cross, who was coaching at Fargo that year. Well, Fargo is everything. It's a litmus test. All you have to do in the wrestling community is say how somebody or yourself did at Fargo, and you immediately know their level. The tournament's held at the Fargo Dome, where over 20 mats lay atop a national turf field with wrestlers from every state competing. Yeah, it's, it's your time to to really display or showcase your abilities. And, you know, some kids will wilt under those that information, and some kids will shine. On the morning of the weigh-ins, Henry was drawn into what some say was the toughest Fargo bracket of all time. Here's Angel, Henry's older brother. If you look at his bracket, I remember he, we were looking at it not a couple years back. You got Spencer Mango, you got Franklin Gomez. I mean, it was a... Uh, a lot of All-American national champs that eventually became great wrestlers in their own right. Between Mango and Gomez, the two would go on to compete in four Olympic Games, which meant that Henry was in for the fight of his life. Before his first match, Kendall Cross spotted him in the warm-up area. Seeing him warm up, I noticed him. Watching him wrestle, I was like, holy shit. This kid's impressive. The stuff he was doing, he was going from... He wasn't using the same move over and over. He was freaking pulling out his book. And then, oh my God, he was, he was his, his level of freestyle skill, it was something to see. And it was rare. Hours later, the former Olympic champ went to talk to Henry. I, I went up to him and, and said, hey dude, really nice job. The, the way you looked at me, I won't forget it. The way you looked at me, 
I don't think he knew who I was. Here's Henry. I do remember Kendall literally watching my matches. which I was like, I did never really try to become friends with, with Kendall as much as I respected the crap out of him because I was such a competitor. It's hardly surprising that Henry was all business and barely noticed Kendall as he was getting ready for his biggest match of the tournament against Puerto Rican star Franklin Gomez, who had a win over Henry a few years prior. Franklin was so good. He controlled me, man. He was just long, he was big, I think he grabbed wrists, like he just, he had his way with me. But now, three years later, Henry and Franklin were in the early seconds of their match. I remember wrestling him and uh, I was winning like 4-1. Oh yeah, he was beating me, dude. I was holding the leg and he did like a, a one of those throws on the back and like he pinned me. It was the first time someone pinned me. Henry's pin over Franklin Gomez sent the Fargo Dome into a frenzy. Yeah, I remember him celebrating. Ah, ah. I remember I hated that. Henry rolled through the rest of the tournament and won his first junior national championship. He returned to Arizona and prepared to enter his junior year of high school beating up on the same kids he had for the last five years. His high school coach, Frank Sines, knew that Arizona was becoming unstable for Henry. Henry was, he needed to go. He was getting older. And I said, you know what, it's time, you know. Not that I wanted to kick him out of the room, but, but to grow. But unfortunately for Henry, he had nowhere to go. He still had two years of high school left. And even if he found a more suitable training environment, he had no money to get there. But all that changed in August of 2004, when Henry received a call from USA Wrestling with an invitation to come to the Olympic Training Center. Thanks for listening to Episode 1 of the Henry Cejudo Experiment a six-part series on how a high school phenom became a test subject for USA Wrestling. If you love the show, we'd love to hear from you. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast and subscribe to the show. We're available on every major listening platform. If you want to help support the podcast, check out our merch at store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. We have t-shirts, hoodies, and an exclusive poster from the Henry Cejudo Experiment. For more content, check out our YouTube page, Wrestling Changed My Life. The Henry Cejudo Experiment was written, edited, and directed by me, Ryan Warner. Writing and editing by Raleigh Peterkin. Production assistant, Dusty Kress. Business manager, Tanner Warner. Original score by Gary Linelli. A special thank you to Chael Sonnen, Henry and Angel Cejudo. We'll see you in episode two of the Henry Cejudo Experiment.